The Holy Gospel according to Matthew in the fifth chapter. To you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or a sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or a sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your, altar, your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first to be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it, is, it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. The gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. And let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and our minds this morning be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Y'all are the salt of the earth. Y'all are the light of the cosmos, the city on the hill. Those are the words from last week. And there are weeks when I wish it were clear and easy to follow Jesus, to know exactly what to do, what to say, how to treat each other, how to interact in the world, how to read and interpret Scripture. According to Deuteronomy, it should be. We're told the commandment we are to follow is not far away. It's not up in heaven or beyond the sea. It's very near in our mouths and in our hearts. It's easy. All we have to do is choose. It's like behind door number one is life and prosperity, which is a good option for sure. And then we look behind door number two and death and adversity. Let's see, which one should I choose? Do I need more information? 
Maybe door number one involves loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways and observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances. So you shall live and become numerous, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. Okay, that sounds pretty good. What about door number two? If your heart turns away and you do not hear but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. Okay, I think I've got it. Life and prosperity on one side, adversity and death on the other side, right? Deuteronomy is not a game show, but we do have choices to make. And why is the choice so difficult? Who wouldn't choose life and love and prosperity and blessing? We look at the world around us, though, and realize it's a much harder choice than we want it to be. War, addiction, pain, violence, judgment, bullying, wherever we turn, we see how the wrong choice is made again and again and again. A part of choosing life involves, Moses says, obeying the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways and observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances. And that's where the difficulty begins. We aren't to obey the commandments for the sake of the commandments. Following rules is not the point of faith. They are there to guide us to better life with each other in community. And yet we sometimes use them as weapons. You didn't obey this commandment, so we can't be in fellowship anymore. We use them to exclude and to judge and justify our own preferences. Susan B. Anthony, the famous suffragette and civil rights leader, said, I distrust those people who know so well what God wants them to do because I notice it always coincides with their own desires. We shouldn't get rid of the commandments, nor pretend they don't exist. We're called to live them out in our own lives, not others' lives. It's much easier to look at other people's mistakes and start quoting scripture at them. It's much harder to quote scripture at ourselves. It's much harder to hold up a mirror to our own behavior. Are we living together as God dreams us to live? Are we using our gifts for the benefit of the community? Are we loving God and neighbor as ourselves? And sometimes, even if people can apply commandments to their own life, they do so in shame and self-loathing. And this isn't what God calls us to do either. We're not called to choose shame. We're called to choose life. And we know life is messy and imperfect and beautiful, and we choose it all. When I was in my first semester of seminary in a pastoral care class, a classmate was telling a story of the redemption of two teens in the youth group he had served who had gotten pregnant. There are cultural differences that play out in this story, too, but he describes calling them up in front of the rest of the youth group, where he had them acknowledge their sin accept their shame, and serve as a lesson to the other teens to not stray from their faith. A classmate braver than I said, do you really think what they needed in that moment was to be told they'd made a mistake? 
Don't you think they already knew that? Why wasn't grace a part of your redemption for them? And he replied, There's no place in faith for sinful behavior. They were not obeying the commands of God and needed to atone for that. Ouch. Language about law and sin get turned into language that shames and excludes. And churches have long been part of that. If you have been hurt by a church or by religion, I am deeply sorry. Choosing life is never something to be ashamed of. It's why we celebrated Reconciling in Christ Sunday a few weeks ago. It's why we say that we're imperfect and that we're still working on ourselves and on inclusivity. And Jesus is facing some of these same issues when he delivers the Sermon on the Mount. He knows how important the commandments are, and he knows how people use them to narrowly prescribe God's blessing. And he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, do not murder. The crowd relaxes. Good point, Jesus. We agree murder is bad. We'd never do that. Those horrible sinners who murder should rot in a hell of fire. But I say to you, if you are angry with a brother or a sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or a sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. Wait, what? Really? I thought this was a command about not murdering people. And then Jesus goes on to talk about how we need to seek reconciliation with our brothers and our sisters. The command not to murder is expanded to help us choose life by calling us to live together daily in harmony with forgiveness and reconciliation, to treat each other with respect. And that means not speaking hateful words. And Jesus does a similar thing with speaking about adultery, divorce, and swearing falsely. And it's interesting that Jesus doesn't erase the original commandments. He expands them. He reminds us that choosing life is not just in the big decisions. It's in the little ones in every single decision we make. Adultery? Still not the way to choose life, but neither is lust or pornography. You really want to honor your spouse so you can choose life together? Then be careful how you interact with other people and make sure it doesn't compromise your relationship with your beloved. And then there's divorce. There are many modern dilemmas Jesus never addresses. He doesn't say anything about driving slowly in the fast lane on the highway, about being a jerk online, or about homosexuality, or about abortion. But we do have this section about divorce. And divorce has touched all of our lives, whether you've been divorced or not. You've seen the pain, you've know, you know the difficulties, you know it isn't ideal, even if you also know of the redemption that is possible after divorce. And one of the problems for us is that while we use the word divorce, it's hard to make a direct comparison. In general, men in biblical times could divorce their wives at any time. Yes, there were disincentives for it because her dowry would have been returned to her family, but if a wife burned your oatmeal in the morning, looked at you sideways, 
forgot to pick up the dry cleaning, you could divorce her. If women committed adultery, divorce really wasn't the solution. That would have been death by stoning. Deuteronomy 24 says, Suppose a man enters into marriage with a woman, but she does not please him because he finds something objectionable about her. And so he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. She then leaves his house and goes off to become another man's wife. And then suppose the second man dislikes her, writes her a bill of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. Or the second man who married her dies. Her first husband who sent her away is not permitted to take her again to be his wife after she's been defiled, for that would be abhorrent to the Lord, and you shall not bring guilt on the land that, is, that the Lord your God is giving you as a possession. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful Jesus spoke against this kind of divorce, where women had the same amount of determination in their future as did cattle or used cars. I'm grateful that he broadened the law. And everything that I know about Jesus makes me believe that anything he preached was offered to help us live life in grace and in peace. That it was meant for our well-being, for choosing life. Would monogamous lives of fidelity help with that? Well, in most cases, in a perfect world, yes. But does that mean there's no room for us when it doesn't work? Certainly not. There's grace. Salt and light may be abstract, but the decision between death and life, it seems so simple. And yet, if it is so simple, why are we still arguing about it thousands of years later? Why are there culture wars where good and faithful Christian people see things so differently, so many issues? Sexual orientation, human rights, abortion, military intervention, immigration, food stamps, unemployment assistance. The list goes on, and there doesn't seem to be a single one of them where God's followers speak in unison. It seems so daunting to discern God's dream for us when there are so many competing views and interpretations battling for our allegiance. Yet Deuteronomy encourages us to believe God's dream is not too far away, it's not hidden. God's word to us is very near. It's in our mouths and in our hearts. Choose life. It's a good phrase to remember in the midst of discernment. Will our choice make life better for ourselves or for others? Will our choice extend God's love and grace to someone? Will our choice help the world be a more life-affirming place for all of God's children? Will our choice help someone else see there's life after mistakes and tragedy and loss? You've heard it said, choose life, but I say to you, don't define that too narrowly. Choose life in the little decisions and the big ones. Choose life for you in a way that invites others to choose it for themselves because we can only choose life for ourselves. Choose life with humility and grace, recognizing others may choose differently. Choose life with joy and hope that God who created us is working with us to redeem it all for beauty. I pray it may be so. Amen.